So I felt like the Lord was dealing with me uh, to kind of step into a series um, on the topic of apologetics. Anybody ever heard that term before? Apologetics in its definition means that as Christians, we understand why we believe what we believe and that we can convey that in simplistic terms to somebody that's questioning. Now, it really hit my heart recently because um, Cody's actually reading a book she got from a gal that came out of the Mormon church, and she really found Jesus for herself, for real, in a personal relationship. And she wrote this book intentionally to give it to her friends and family that are still in the Mormon church, hoping that they would read it and understand where where she's coming from, and the difference between what they believe and what the Bible teaches. So she's reading through this book, and uh, she's giving me these nuggets and these bits and pieces, and I love it because I'm already, I'm, my brain is already clicking for this apologetics-type teaching so that we can convey why we believe what we believe to the world. Because the world just thinks Christianity is just another one on the list. Just another deity. Isn't it all the same God? Aren't we all going to the same place? We know the answer to that, but how do we defend it? And so this gal is writing this book, and she's asking lots of questions. Now, this is true in all kinds of Christian, can I say cults, biblical, some, some shape of Bible, but they're cultish environments, right, where there's intimidation and coercion. This is not Christianity. And there's all these shapes and sizes where they just say, well, you just need to have faith. They told her that all growing up, as an inquisitive little girl growing up, just have faith. This doesn't make sense to me. You just got to believe it. As human beings, we have a really hard time with that. Do you know that? I mean, to just shut down that part of your brain and say, okay, it just doesn't come natural. You gotta be trained and dare I say, brainwashed to think that way. Do you know our God doesn't require that of us? He asks us to look at his word and then look at the evidence of what he said in the earth to verify what he said. And it's there. Did you know that? There is more evidence for creation than there will ever be for evolution. It's still called the theory of evolution. Amen? And it's taught like it's Bible, like it's science in school. But the science supports what this says. We see creation all around us all the time. So we got to be able to defend this, I think, a little bit. I think we've got to be able to do a little research and say, you know what? There's some truth to what I believe. There's some backbone to what I believe, and here's why. This is not mainstream media topics. Did you know that? They don't want this stuff out there, but it's out there. There is lots of good information that support what we believe and why we believe it, and it's solid, and it's not speculative. It's amazing. We live in an amazing world with a lot of cool stuff going on around us. Amen. So it's apologetics and Bible accuracy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's all scripture, page to page, cover to cover. Amen? That the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Man, are there a lot of opinions in the earth. I mean, opinions are like noses, right? Everybody's got one, and there's usually a couple holes in them, right? <laughs> but we got to be able to look at some opinions and be able to, to shape 
our views and be able to explain that and show that to other people. Amen? There are over 24,000 handwritten copies of documents that make up the New Testament. Did you know that? 24 handwritten copies from ancient days that are like in museums and tucked away in places. I'm going to read you a bunch of facts. I want you to get your head around this. You're going to have to listen to this again. I might have to listen to this again. There's lots of facts. It's good stuff. There's a fragment uh, of, a, of an inscription on a stone that dates back, to four, uh, dates back to 40 years from its writing, the biblical writing that shows New Testament text on an inscription. With the, the, the oldest New Testament inscriptions that we have is within 300 years of when Jesus was on the planet. Those are the, that's the one we have. We have an inscription they found within 300 years. Now, here's the test. Here's the litmus test when you're finding out what it is that the Bible is, uh, it, whether it's accurate or not. Is it, it the distance between the time that the events happened and when they were written down is very important. It makes no difference how far away we are from the events. Meaning that we're 2,000 years from when Jesus walked to the earth, but because the disciples and the direct students of those disciples wrote down what they saw in their lifetime. First generation, hand knowledge, first generation, first hand knowledge of what happened. Because they wrote it down in that time span, it becomes very accurate from a document standard testing. And this means document standard testing all the way back, even in secular writings. This is how they check. How soon was it that they wrote down what they saw? Because if you wait three or 400 years, there's a lot lost in that because now you're relying on story, 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 story. You see that? The, the tales of Alexander the Great were written between three and 400 years after it happened and they count that as accurate. And yet we see writings from the early church in the same generation. That's a big deal when you're verifying documents. It's a big deal. Just to give you a, a picture, the, the, the massive amount of documentation we have for the Bible, right? The Iliad's one of the oldest recorded writings that we have. The Iliad has 643 copies. We have 24,000. When I say we, I'm talking about we in the Bible, right? 643 copies that date 500 years from the original. So the copies that were made were 500 years apart from the original. That's all we have. But in the Bible, we have much shorter time frame of when those copies were made. I mean, there's just not another book like it. There's not another one like it. Aristotle had 49 copies of his writings. They were 1,400 years apart. And they consider those completely accurate. And yet they give us grief about our writings and our Bible that God was very meticulous in bringing to us today. I believe our God's big enough to get us a copy that's accurate. Right? Don't we? And that's not just a faith statement. This is backed up by evidence we're going to keep looking at. For a document, the, the attestation of the Bible is extraordinary. There's just, there's just not another document like it. There just isn't. The New Testament has 40 lines of what they call textural corruption. So when they look at old documents versus the documents we have now, there's 40 lines of textual corruption, meaning that there's, there's something different from the original to the copies that they have. 40 lines of it. The overwhelming majority of those corrupt, they call corruptions are in spelling 
and in grammar. Spelling and grammar. Not one of the things that we believe as Christians is dictated by that spelling or grammar error. None of it. None of it. It's just how the guy stroked his A versus the other guy stroked his A. Just, the, just from translation to translation. A little bit of grammar, a little bit of spelling. The Iliad has 764 lines of textual corruption with an accuracy of 95%. That's the difference. And our book is bigger. They were so meticulous when they wrote this stuff down. They were so precise. It's so important that we understand the Bible is a trustworthy source. And those that would try to knock it out from underneath our feet do not know what they are talking about. Because there are very, very intelligent, smart people that have figured out that we have a very accurate document in front of us. People say, well, what about translation to translation to translation? I mean, Jesus spoke in Aramaic, and then it was translated into Greek, and then Latin, and then German, and now we have English. I mean, that's a translation of a translation of a translation of a translation. It can't possibly be accurate. And yet, the men and women of Jesus' time spoke multiple languages and had no problem conveying the message of what they heard and then writing it into another language. This was how they lived. Two, three languages was the norm. This is not difficult. The other thing that they tell us about making copies of copies of copies is when you have divergence and variance. But the thing is, is we have so many copies that when you, when you take, like, say, an original, let's just pretend I have an original right here, right? When you take an original and then you make a copy and a copy, these copies have copies of themselves, but they're... they're they're coded almost with their own DNA because of the, the language of what's being written. And so when they take the, the copy of the original and then the copy, and then also the copy and the copy, they can actually trace back those copies to the original and find out where all the variants were. This is how they find out these 40 lines of textual corruption, they call it. And they can piece back the original document because not everybody varies in the exact same way. This little variant and this little variant, but when they bring it all back together, it's like, this is the original, and we are very, very, very close. 99.6% accurate, and the 0.4% is grammar and spelling. This is how important we can rely on the Word of God to get to us. Do you see that? I mean, it's just rock solid. So people talk about the canon of scripture. How in the world did the books of the Bible get in there? Who chooses that? Was that just some flaky religious leader that just pulled a bunch of stuff in and said, let's put it in here? Or did they really have a precise list that God designed? Some of the earliest lists that the secular world looks at is 300 years from Christ. They have a list of the New Testament books. They found an inscription. And yet there's another one that has been found called the muratorial fragment, and shows an almost identical list dated back to 170 AD. 170. Just 130 years after Jesus left, disciples, the students of the disciples were still alive. And they had this list of New Testament books that are going to fit into our New Testament canon. I mean, they, God knew exactly what was going in there. He knew exactly what was going in there. And he watched over it, even through translations, even through, do you, do you guys remember, in, it was like the mid-70s, I wasn't alive yet, yes, the mid-70s when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, have you heard of that? 
some kid's throwing rocks in a cave and he throws it up in a hole and then he hears this clank, this pot break, and he's like, I think I found something. <laughs> so he goes up there to investigate and here are these scrolls that these ancient Jewish religious leaders, monks or whatever, had stashed when they were being invaded and they were so well preserved in this cave in these pots that we were able to unroll these things and find out, now let's see how accurate this really is. A thousand years later, and when they laid script to script, there were seven inconsistencies. And guess what they were? Grammar and spelling. (laughs) They were so meticulous when they transferred. I mean, we have something so exact and precise. Amen? When you take the testimony of the New Testament, you have to look at the six E's. All right, the six E's. You check out the testimony of the New Testament looking at when was it written down? It, it was written down early. That's the first E's, early. They wrote it down early. They, they, they were there with Jesus when the miracles happened. And when he walked on water and when he divided the loaves and the fishes, they were there when they saw the dead man rise up and Lazarus come, come out, of the, out of the tomb. They were there when they saw Jesus beaten and drug, right? And drug that cross through the, town and was crucified. They were there and they wrote down what they saw from four different perspectives. And because it was four perspectives, we get different versions of what happened from different points of view, which fits perfectly into forensic data when you're looking at a crime scene, when you're looking at an event, you're trying to piece the puzzles together. When you get all these different perspectives, it tells you this is an accurate event. And the gospels do it precisely like that. It's so accurate. It was, it was taken down. It was written down early. We get eyewitness accounts. Eyewitness accounts. This isn't my grandmama and her great-great-grandmama, and this is the story, and I think it went like this. It's not like that. We see, we see writings outside of the canon of Scripture that were students of the Apostle Paul, that were students of the students of Apostle Paul, that were the students of the students. Three removed, and they're writing the same consistent way about what Jesus did, what he said, what he saw. They were meticulous. They were precise. Amen? There's embarrassing elements in the New Testament. How many of you know if you messed up and you were writing it down, you might leave some stuff out in your story? That's not the way I remember it. I remember doing it just right. Peter denying Christ, cursing. The men not believing the women who saw Jesus first. Come on, in this culture, it was the men that did the stuff, right? With, with, for Jesus to rely on the gals, the ladies, to bring the message to the disciples who were cowering in fear is outside of the cultural norm, and yet it's written down for us. Come on, if people were gonna scrub something, they'd scrub that stuff out. They'd make it more culturally appropriate, and yet the embarrassing stuff to them culturally is in there. Have you ever thought that when God's writing this stuff down? Like, why did you leave all that stuff in there? I mean, come on. That's embarrassing. But he did it for us so that we could see these are real human beings. These are real people. This really happened. If it was all perfect with princess dresses and shining white knights, we'd be like, 
Who's going to believe that? When people fall smack on their face? Okay, I can relate to that. Right? There's excruciating details in this. Jesus, what's described, how, what he went through for us, excruciating detail. It's horrible. And yet, for us, it's important to pay attention to these symbols, these details. What's expected, expected out of Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament work together so well. The Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus showed up, foretold of Christ coming. And it was hidden from the Jews lest they see it and follow him. Because he had to die. But Isaiah foretold it. Daniel foretold of the Roman Empire rising. In his writings, he foretold of Alexander being a great warrior and then getting cut off suddenly in four kingdoms kingdoms coming up and then out of that four becoming two and out of that two becoming one and the roman empire when jesus came in was exactly on time it's expected writings from hundreds of years before coming to pass in the new testament right before their eyes that tells us there is truth in here amen this isn't just a fantasy and a belief for us this is provable through time and history there's also extra biblical writings. Did you know that there was more writings than just the Bible in the day? There were other people that were literate that knew how to write, <laughs> right? And there's, there are tons of non-Christian writers. They have at least 10, at least 10 sources around the same time that Jesus was alive and his disciples that wrote about Jesus. And when you piece these sources together, you can see it is extremely consistent with what the New Testament tells and Christianity and how it was birthed from guys that weren't even following Jesus. They just knew about him because it was a big to-do. Can you imagine the one who turned the world upside down, who was crucified and then risen from the dead and was seen by over 500 people? That's a story to tell. And the whole world was learning it and writing about it. These are extra biblical sources outside of the Bible that confirm Jesus is alive, confirm that he walked the earth, confirm that the details are accurate. It's amazing, isn't it? These are things we need to know in our heart of hearts so we're not easily swayed. I, I cannot stand the statistic of kids going to college and losing their faith. Tears me up. Because if they had an ounce of this, of understanding and truth, where they could just fight back and go, that's a lie. Why are you saying that? Let me show you the proof. How many have been won by Christians that have taken the time to know what the truth is? I heard one believer say he was an unapologetic atheist. And he ended up rooming on this trip with a Christian who got his Bible out to read. And he thought, ah, another Christian I can just tear apart. And he went after him with everything he had. How, you can't trust that book. It's written by so many different people with so many different languages. There, there's so many translations of translations. How can you possibly agree with that? And then he laid it on him. I want to show you this. It's awesome. I want to read it right because it's important that I get it right. So many manuscripts. 
so many writings. We have in our possession today 5,500 Greek New Testament manuscripts. Did you know that? 5,500 Greek New Testament manuscripts. Not printed from the printing presses yesterday. Manuscripts from ages ago. They're in museums all over the world. Anybody been to the museum in Cairo? Me neither. But there's a bunch of biblical artifacts in it. You can go see them online. It's amazing. We have 10,000 Latin manuscripts of the New Testament. We have 8,000 copies of the Coptic and the Syriac manuscripts. And we have 36,000 quotations of the New Testament from biblical and non-biblical authors. Just from that alone, we could piece back together the entire New Testament. Did you know that? From thousands of years of history and writings. The Bible is very, very trustworthy. Very trustworthy. This kind of argument won this guy to the Lord because his intellectual argument, which he was usually very successful in making a Christian crumble in their belief, stood up to the test of truth. And we live in an age where truth is so wishy-washy. I mean, can you remember a time? I barely call that chair blue. That's not blue. That's got cyan and magenta in it mixed together, and it's called royal blue. That's what I said. There is such a thing as absolute truth. It's what we're founded on. You can't have your truth and your truth and your truth. and That's not accurate. It's a trick. It's a tool. It's a lie of the enemy. There is a truth. You can believe in gravity or not, but gravity will tell on you. You get close enough to the edge. It's the truth. Amen. Bruce Metzger, a scholar from Princeton, said this. Princeton, it is safe for any scholar to say there is a 99.6% accuracy in the New Testament. No ancient document, none, has the documentary support that the Bible has. Not one ancient document has the support that the Bible has. Come on, this is the age we live in. We have, we have the most accurate manual in history and yet they're trying to tear it down and say, it's just hogwash. It's just fables. How can we trust this? God's proven it over and over and over if we'll look to the facts, if we'll look to the truth. Do you know there's science still figuring stuff out that this said? Science is still catching up to the things that are said in this book. Did you know that? There was a time when they thought the earth was flat. And there's a scripture where the, Lord, where the Bible says the Lord looks down on the, on the circle of the earth. <laughs> there's a time when they didn't know the depths of the sea, and yet there's scriptures that say there's valleys and peaks under the waters. And then they figure that out. Imagine that. There's just so much truth to this. We can trust it. Amen? Time Magazine in 1988, Richard Osling said, the doc, of the documents that are available across the centuries, nothing in ancient literature matches the support of the Bible. In Time Magazine. Nothing. I'm telling you, we have evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence of support for this book. It is God's inspired word. 
They say, well, man wrote that. Actually, the Bible says that holy men of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote the book, which means God wrote the book. And he didn't leave anything out. He's perfect. He's accurate. He's trustworthy. Amen? Amen. Hmm. If you didn't hear it, I want to say it again. The, the, the time that matters the most is between the time when the event happened and when it was written down. That's the most important time. The distance between now and when the event occurred means nothing. It's irrelevant if it was written down in, a, in the matter of time. It's very important. That's why we can trust the New Testament. It was written down in that generation. Amen? There are 66 books and 40 authors to the Bible. It was spanned over 1,500 years in different languages, in different countries, on different continents. And yet it is still harmoniously linked together all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. Think about the, just the odds of that. It's staggering. 1,500 years, 40 authors, different continents and different languages, and yet we have an accurate account of what happened throughout the ages proven by archaeology. That's impressive. There's not another book like it. Not even close. There's artifacts all over the place. The Bible talks about Julius Caesar, about Pilate, King Ahab, Jezebel, Caiaphas. And we have inscriptions and monuments all over the planet that have been discovered, specifically around Bible times. Greece, Turkey, Iraq, Israel, Lebanon, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, massive amounts of discoveries in these countries. And these monuments and these artifacts list and label countries like Israel. And the God, their God word Yahweh is printed on these things. The inscriptions and the writings of, of the kings and the queens of these ancient times are in the Bible and are, they're on these obelisks, these monoliths that we can find and we can read about who this is. And people go, that's in the Bible. Imagine that. I mean, I'm not making this stuff up. There's museums all over the planet. Chicago's a big museum. They have a ton of stuff there. New York, Cairo, Great Britain. There are massive, massive museums that they say, oh, these are, these are historically accurate. And yet they, uh, they neglect to look at the actual writings that talk about Israel that confirmed what the Bible already said. The Christian scientists don't neglect it. They go to it and they make it as loud and as known as they possibly can. This is fun research for me. It's like, this just proves we are absolutely, without a doubt, serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because he has made himself known in the heavens and the earth. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> the corroboration test is nine non-Christian sources mention Jesus within 150 years of his life. Did you know that? There are 32 Christian sources that mention him, making a total of 42. In comparison, Julius Caesar has 10. He has 10 sources that mention him. The Bible has 42 from the time frame that talk about Jesus and what he did. That's a huge difference. 
Let's look at a little bit of bibli- biblical archaeology. You want to look at some pictures? I think this is really interesting. That, I think this will help you in your faith. I think as we go through this, you'll have more confidence in who you trust in, who you call on, the name of the Lord God when you pray. He hears you because he's been around forever. And he's been pointing you to this your whole life. The Bible calls people that are lost in darkness for a reason. Because when you're in the dark, you can't see. And yet he calls us people of light. Why is that? So that we can bring the light of the truth of the gospel. There are some that need to know the facts. There are some that intellectually need to see this information. Did you know that? When I was five and I gave my heart to Jesus, I wasn't asking about archaeology. Now, where's the proof text for that? Could you let me know? I just believe because I love Jesus. Well, there's a whole bunch of people that went through a whole bunch of schooling and think they're real, 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 real smart. And the Bible says that only a fool in his heart says there is no God. So I don't care how many initials are at the end of your name. If you say there's no God, you're at the beginning. You're in pre-pre-K. The panties blue. Okay, there's a, there's a monolith, Chris. I'm trying to remember the names of what I sent you. There's an Egyptian monolith. Go ahead and pull one up. I'll just talk about them when they come up, when you find it. So this, this particular one is, is a monument they found in archaeology. This is not engraved in the 20th century. This is like centuries old. And it talks about King Ahab. You guys remember King Ahab in the Old Testament? This talks about King Ahab. Like he really lived, because he did. <laughs> you know? And, and we get to see these monuments come up, and they put these in museums, and they're like, this is so cool. We found this in this place, and they show you all the pictures of how they excavated it and cleaned it and then set it. It's, priceless. it's a priceless artifact, and it's in a museum, so you can go look at it. And yet it points back to the Old Testament and King Ahab when God said, yeah, King Ahab fought this king and this king, and it's talking about it right there. It's just one. Go to the next one. This is another one. Uh, this one, I believe, is uh, King Jehu, again, in the Bible, talking about how Jehu was king in Israel, and he had to fight battles, and there were stuff, skirmishes going on in other cities, and it talks about it. And they find this stuff in the ground as if God preserved it for them. So he can point to, I'm telling you the truth. This is accurate. Go to the next one. This is an, another Egyptian monolith. And this is actually talking about a, a, a pharaoh. And it talks about the conquest and all the cities. And toward the bottom, it talks about going into an Israeli city and conquering it. And it uses the name Israel. That, that across the board, they're like, that is the name for Israel. The archaeologists and the, and the linguistics, the, the people that study linguistics. They say, that's the name for Israel. It's on there in the bottom quarter of it, how they went in and they conquered Israel. Israel got beat up a little bit. Do you remember that? I mean, they won some good stuff and then they fell from God and they did some stupid stuff and then they fell to somebody else and went into slavery and bondage. And Go to the next one. This is the Moabite stone. This is talking about the Moabites. They dug this out of the ground again. 
They just keep finding stuff over there. Like, can we see that on CNN for crying out loud? No. And again, it talks about Israel and the Moabites and their interactions and what happened. It's just amazing. And we can find all this stuff in, in the books of First and Second Kings, the stories that are told when Israel had to go to battle with all these, and they're, they're inscribed on these stones in museums. It's just proof. It's just coming back. This is proof. This is proof. This is proof. He's alive and well. Let's see the next one. Okay, this one is really exciting. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Ron Wyatt? He's an archaeologist. He spent 22 years of his life studying biblical archaeology. So one thing I want to show you. In this picture, um, this is, this is at the bottom of the sea where the pharaoh and all his henchmen and chariots drowned. Now, what's interesting about this, this particular piece of land is that it's between Saudi Arabia and e Egypt. And when they do the uh, oceanography charting of the floor, on either side of this piece of land, just a couple miles to each side, it drops from 900 feet in depth to 5,000 feet almost instantly, just cascades like Mount Everest down, down the sides. But in this stretch of land, it's only 900 feet deep. Now, it's really difficult to scuba dive 900 feet. I don't think anybody's pulled that off yet. But this isn't enough water where you can see light. So they found this area. They tracked it biblically, and they scuba dived from the Egyptian side into this body of water. And they found coral that looked a lot like spokes on a wheel. So as they investigate more, you can see they kind of superimposed what the wheel looks like. But as they investigated more, they saw these are, these are chariot wheels. They've been preserved because the wood actually attracted coral and coral built itself all the way around it and preserved it. Everything inside is just nothing, but the coral remained. And you can see each spoke. And it's so interesting because there's so many of them down there that there's eight-spoke wheels and six-spoke wheels and four-spoke wheels. So when he took the evidence to a, uh, an Egyptologist who understood chariots like nobody else and showed him the eight-spoke wheel, he said, that's from the 18th century. And he goes, how can you be so sure? He said, because the 18th century was the only time they had eight-spoke wheels. As a matter of fact, in that season alone, they had three different spoke wheels because they were transitioning from eight-spoke to six-spoke and four-spoke. That's why all three are in the bottom. All of their chariots would have had all three spokes. And we know that's Egyptian from the 18th century, B.C. Without even giving him a biblical reference, just said, this is what I found. That's 18th century Egypt, Egyptian. This is in the water. Go to the next one. Is there another spoke one? Yeah. This, they couldn't move. This is actually a gold inlaid four-spoke wheel. Because everything underneath it is just destroyed, they couldn't, they can't remove it, but they took a picture of it. It's gold-laid spoke or wet wheel and the coral doesn't attach to it because it's gold but it laid there and they were able to uncover it by just scuba, di scuba diving down to it why isn't this in the mainstream media right they don't they don't want us to know the truth the truth and the evidence is it's insurmountable this happened the israelites walked through on dry ground 
I don't know if I got this picture on the slideshow or not. There's a picture of one of the scuba divers on, I believe he's on the Saudi Arabian side, and he's standing on the floor with plenty of light. I don't, it didn't say the depth, but he's standing on the floor, and there is this massive pile of rocks mount, mounted up beside him, and where he's standing is this, this smooth sand, as if somebody parted the water and removed all the pebbles and stones out of the way so the people could walk through on dry ground with their carts and their oxen and their children. And yet there's this rock mound just pushed over to the side as far back as he, you can see in the picture. It's amazing. This is evidence we can see today, thousands of years later. What's the next one? Anybody know what the picture of that is? That's a picture of Noah's Ark. That's an 80s haircut. No doubt. They found Noah's Ark just by following biblical text. Did did anybody heard about that? I mean, the guy built one in Missouri. Is that where it is? Missouri? So there's like this huge Noah's Ark. Have you guys heard of that? He built a Noah's Ark. Like it's an attraction. But they found the Noah's Ark in Turkey, right where God said it was going to be. And it's been there for a long time. And the wood is petrified. But guess what? They can tell it was wood. And they can tell it was a boat. And they can, t- they can tell you right where it's at. There's actually a visitor center right behind him on the right. Turkey declared it a national park. Turkey even believes it's Noah's Ark. There it is. The visitor center. You can drive there and take a picture of it. I mean, God's just leaving proof all over the place. You guys ever hide Easter eggs from your, from your kids? You know, hide them and then they go look for them. You ever done that? We have this tradition where we hide chocolate eggs because I love chocolate. And, <laughs> and I get half of them. But we hide them in the house, right? And there's some tough ones to find because I have a 12-year-old that's like going to be seven and a half feet tall so she can see everything I can see. So I got to really hide it from her. And then I got a four-year-old who wouldn't see it if it smacked her in the face. So it's got to be right out in the open. And I feel like God's just kind of like hiding stuff from us, but he's just dropping stuff out of his pocket as he's walking around. You know, and we're like, oh, man. Oh. It's just so blatant and obvious. You know, there's some other things that are harder to find. They've had to dig up to prove that what God said was true was true. There's other stuff just sitting outside. They found this decades ago in satellite photos. You think we heard about it? That's a weird shape. We should check that out. Oh, this is made of wood. It's petrified. It's in a boat shape. Hmm. That's an Agri Mountain in Agri, Turkey. Isn't that a cool picture? Just sitting there. Used to hold a whole bunch of animals. And a couple rascal sons and sons-in-law, or daughter-in-law. What's the next one? 
That, that's a chunk of the wood they took out right there, petrified wood with a veneer on it. Inter- isn't that interesting? Do the next one. Anybody know what that is? This one I think is really cool. This is a picture of the biblical Mount Sinai. Now, they used to think Mount Sinai was in a totally different country. And then they figured out it's not. It's actually in Saudi Arabia because they used to believe that the Israelites crossed the sea that's, that's the first sea in Egypt. You know, in Egypt, where it comes to a point up by the Mediterranean Sea, there's a river and then it breaks with a mountain range and there's two seas that come down off of that. So they used to think that Israel crossed this first sea. When you're looking at the map, on the west side, and that's how they got over to this kind of land bridge. But in reality, they actually crossed way up north where the river where they could easily cross where Egypt was, and they came down the land bridge and crossed the right sea, which is where the chariot wheels are, and they walked into Saudi Arabia. For centuries, they didn't know Mount Sinai was there, but lots of people were like, that's the weirdest looking mountain I've ever seen because there's red granite that goes up to a certain place and then it just turns into black charred rock. What's going on here? Exodus 19, verse 16. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because... The Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. (laughs) It's still charred. (laughs) And we can you can go see it. Come on. Isn't that wild? That's the that's the Google Earth picture. God just kind of settled in and just Cooked it. Can you imagine Moses like come up here? He's like, I smell barbecue. I don't think that's. I don't think that's wise for me. I mean, we have so much evidence of what God said is true is true. Why do we even for a second question this? Only the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Only the fool. There's so much evidence. There's so much truth. So I think over the next few weeks, we're just going to be learning about some of the truth and then how to defend our faith. I think that's important. I don't think we can stay in our bubble anymore. I think we were designed and meant for such a time as this, where we know who we are, who we serve, and what he will do for those that love him. Right, And we can defend when we are attacked. Because I'm telling you, ne- never before is the Christian church being attacked. But they're not ready for Christians that will rise up with some ammunition and say, that's a lie. Let me prove it to you. Come on, we can be those people. We don't have time to just sit back on our laurels. Come on, just sit back on our lazy boys and just wait for Jesus to come back. Come on, we gotta go after some people that think they're intellectual, that think, us have, think of us as fools. But the Bible says they are. There's gonna be some times in your life where you're gonna have to get in somebody's face and shake their core. Do you know what I mean by that? 
Like we use niceties and pleasantries all the time. And I believe we should say that and speak the truth in love. The Bible says so. But sometimes speaking the truth in love means you're following a cult. You're on your way to hell. You think you're right and you are not. You're not following the book that's proven itself. You've added to it your own. It doesn't work. Go on, do you, do you remember a time when you just needed to be shaken? When somebody just needed to get a hold of you by the collar and say, what are you doing? Stop messing around. Some of y'all have been dead if somebody didn't do that to you or in jail or worse. That's the season and the time we live in. God is flexing and showing off. Signs in the heavens, signs in the earth. And he's just asking his Christians to just pay attention and to just arm yourselves with the word of God and with some knowledge that he's given us and understanding of who he is so that we can win some. Paul said, I became all things to all people. Come when he talked to the intellectuals on their level, he talked to the people that were less educated on their level. And you know what? He won a lot. He won a lot of people to Jesus because he could speak to them in the way they understood. What's your time worth in taking some time to study to show yourself approved? Is it worth a soul making it to heaven? I think so. I think so.